It's not about giving up influence. Deferring is not about giving up influence. It's not about putting someone else's will ahead of Jesus. Not that either. And it certainly is not about living or acting in fear. None of those things are part of what this passage is talking about. So maybe here are some other ways to think about this. Submitting, deferring, or um, surrendering. It's a choice. When it is not a choice, it is called conquest (laughs) or something worse. True submission can't really be forced. Actions can be forced, but not submission. The choice is to voluntarily defer to the decision or action of another. That's the picture of submit one to another. It's an extremely vulnerable action. Extremely vulnerable. To submit to someone else is an incredibly vulnerable thing. It means to expose yourself to someone else and basically grant them power. Now, they may have positional power already, but when you submit, when you defer, when you surrender, you're actually granting them that power. So that's an incredibly vulnerable thing to do. Now, I also feel like it's really important at this point to uh, confess or to acknowledge that this may be one of the most abused passages in the Bible. Um, and sometimes by men, often by men, but this has actually even been abused by women. I read a lot and listened to a lot of people's ideas on this passage, and I'm quite amazed at how many, um, how many unhealthy ideas of deferring I've heard out of the mouths of women. And so I'm just confessing that right up front, that this has been abused. Examples of the abuse, here are a few, you can probably think of some more, that women are the weaker sex, or that women should do whatever their husbands tell them, or that women are of less value, or that women are the cause of men's problems. When my daughters were in high school, uh, it was a Christian high school that had an interesting thing. (laughs) They had uh, this idea that somehow the high school girls were responsible for the problems that the boys had. And so they had all kinds of rules on what the girls could wear and, and especially what kinds of exposure they could have or else it would cause a boy to have a problem. And so what they did, uh, this is in the 21st century, by the way, sorry to tell you, did was they had a big yellow shirt, really big, extra, extra large, with the word modesty on the back. And if the girl wore something that was questionable, she had to actually wear that shirt all day. 21st century. So one day, somebody said to my daughter, a boy, you're causing me to lust by what you're wearing. (laughs) And she came home and told us, and my wife and I both looked at her and thought, I don't think so. Well, I guess you can lust no matter what, but I don't think so. So we went and had a meeting with the uh, principal, and we said, you know, this really isn't an issue of modesty. This is an issue of appropriateness. Uh, You can wear a bathing suit at the beach. That's actually appropriate, but you probably shouldn't wear it to church. It isn't really about modesty. It's about appropriateness. And and I uh, I remember him, the principal, was aghast that they were even doing this. Like he knew, but he just didn't really cross his mind. And he apologized profusely, and uh, the modesty shirt disappeared. 
In fact, my son-in-law got it, <laughs> and he wore it until he wore it out about a year ago. I tried to get it for this morning to bring it here to show you the modesty shirt, but I couldn't. <clears throat> anyway, that's an example of abuse. That's an example of stuff that's happened in even in our own tradition that are things we probably should be ashamed about. Uh, so because of the abuse, I want to start with the second part of the passage, and that's related to husbands instead of the first. You notice that the second part to husbands way longer than the first part to wives? Anybody notice that? First one actually fit on one slide. The husbands slide after slide after slide, right? Any husbands feel a little nervous when you saw those all come by? I did. Um, so the passage says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. This reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you should also love his wife as he loves himself. Expectations on husbands are actually a lot more intense in this passage than the expectations on wives. So first... Husbands are supposed to love their wives as Jesus loves the church. This is pure and perfect love that may be or probably certainly is humanly impossible, but it's what God expects husbands to do. Jesus never forces the church to submit. doesn't. He completely respects human choice. Even though there are significant consequences for choice, Jesus respects human choice. In fact, this is the fabric of God's creation when he created Adam and Eve and put them in this garden. He could have said, I'm going to take away their choice and they're not going to make any mistakes. And he didn't. Right from the very beginning, God gave humans the choice even to reject him. Jesus never forces the church to submit. Even when the church is in rebellion, Jesus loves the church just as much. Isn't that interesting? Um, and so what, what else about this love that's like Jesus? Well, it's sacrificial. Part of Jesus' love for the church involved giving up, being in very nature God. That's what it says in, in Philippians 2. So talk about giving up your rights. That's the example of Jesus in this perfect love for the church. He gave up not only his rights, not only his right to be fully God, but he gave up his life for the church. He gave up his life for our congregation, for the gathered people of faith. So, husbands, feeling nervous yet? We're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Second, husbands are supposed to love their wives as they love their own bodies. <laughs> now, men tend to be more physical, this is what I've heard, than women. And so it makes sense that Paul would talk about men loving their own bodies, because we probably naturally do. Uh, in fact, self-harm is dysfunction. So uh, sometimes we talk about how people need to learn how to love themselves. We actually naturally love ourselves really well unless we have problems, unless we have dysfunction. And then we, and then we can get into big trouble, and that's called self-harm. Uh, but that's not normal. So Paul says, who has ever not loved their own body? That's what he says. 
right? So this is how husbands are supposed to love their wives, with an intense care for her whole person, her health, her well-being, and safety, as they do for their own bodies. Um, third, Paul talks about the mystery of a man and a woman joining together in marriage. Now, this is a really obvious physical reference that Paul's talking about. And so you kind of feel like, really? And then he says, he says the physical reference. He says, become one flesh. And then he says, but of course I'm talking about the church, right? It's kind of like a bazinga, right? Like he got you going in this direction. Oh, but I'm really talking about the church. Uh, I don't know. It's a mystery. And that's really important to acknowledge. I think it's actually dangerous to ever oversimplify mysteries in the Bible, mysteries in truth, and this is one of them. Somehow, the example of human intimacy can help us understand Jesus' relationship with the church. Somehow. It also helps us understand husbands' relationships with their wives. Finally, Husbands are told once again, one more time, that they are to love their wives as they would love themselves. So in case they didn't get it the first time, second time. Paul assumes we have a natural love. Um, And so he says, do this. Interesting thing about the body. So uh, the physical body, the human body. Um, Last week I was uh, talking about this passage at North, with our North Corps group, and talking about how you know, women just have this, it seems to be natural, at least from my observation. I have one wife and two daughters. They've all had children. My Women have this natural, instinctive desire to have children. Now, not all women have children, but there seems to be a natural thing. And as I've watched, uh, when, when my wife was pregnant, I didn't notice as much. I was young and silly, right? It's It's too bad we couldn't be older and smarter when we were doing those things of the young. But we don't. We can't. But when I watched my daughters deal with the trauma of pregnancy, I was amazed. First of all, that they would even do that on purpose. Second, that they would do it again. Twice. And my wife said, yeah, but when it first happens, you say, I'm never doing this again. But it doesn't take very long to want to do it again. And I'm thinking, wow, what a natural example of giving up your own body. Man, we don't do that well. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul tells us to love our wives as we love our own bodies, because we tend to do that a lot better. Um, So let's go back to the other verses, the earlier ones, where Paul talks about one submitting to another. He says, wives, submit to your own, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body which is the Savior, of which he is Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Uh, similar passages you can find in Colossians 3 and 1 Peter 3. Now we know the, that this teaching came during a really radically different culture and time than ours. Very different. And so that's really important in how we understand and try to interpret it. Um, it is definitely, definitely not a passage that gives anyone the right to force someone else to do or be anything. It's not there. Especially if we look at what the husbands are supposed to do. It's just not there. So simply, 
wives are instructed to submit or defer or surrender to husbands as the church submits to Jesus. How does the church submit to Jesus? Well, first, with the starting point that Jesus is completely loving and has the purest desire for the very best for the church. Second, with the idea that Jesus never forces submission. He always gives humans in the church free choice. Third, that the nature of the submission is completely because of love or the deferring or the surrender. It's completely because of love. And finally, that Jesus' love is willing to sacrifice his own body and life for the sake of the church. Okay, now, you're probably hearing me talking back about husbands again, right? But that's the context of the submission. That's the context. To me, this helps shed some clarity on what Paul might be talking about. And it also causes me actually to feel a lot of uh, sadness about how women have been treated, even in my own tradition. So a couple of concluding application comments. Um, so for everyone in the room, we live in relationships, especially in the church, where we are often in submission to another. Rather than fight this, I believe it's important that we simply acknowledge and celebrate the opportunity to be in a relationship that's Christ-like. That's for all of us. Second, really important, in trying to interpret the Scripture, um, sometimes people make arguments from what is not said instead of what's said. It's called an argument from silence. Okay, so... The Apostle Paul says, husbands, love your wives. And he goes into this great big thing about how incredibly husbands are supposed to love their wives. The Apostle Paul does not say, wives, love your husbands. So an argument from silence would be, guess what, wives? You don't have to love your husbands. How many think that's true? Nobody. Now go the other way. The Apostle says, wives, submit to your husbands. Does that mean husbands never defer to their wives? That's an argument from silence. It's actually a silly argument. The same way it would be to say, wives, you don't have to love your husband. So what we end up with here is one submitting to another, but that changes sometimes. Husbands, as models of love of Jesus, regularly defer to their wives. Regularly. As Jesus defers his own life, his own being in very nature God, actually gives that up. He defers that. Um... Arguments from silence. Third, failure on one side doesn't excuse the other side. So say uh, the wife didn't submit for whatever reason, whatever that looks like. This does not give the husband any right to love less. In fact, if we model the love of Jesus as husbands, we need to love more. 
We need to actually sacrifice more. That's the model of Jesus. When the church does not submit to Christ, he loves more. Husbands or wives, when your husband doesn't love you, it doesn't actually give you the right to not defer. I know that's really difficult. And remember, this is not deferring when it's contrary to what Jesus would say. So we're not sacrificing our wills or our minds or anything uh, to be contrary to anything that Jesus would say. And guess what Jesus says about husband? You can see the circular thing that's happening here, right? Um, Jesus says husbands love, or Paul says husbands love your wives as Jesus loved the church. So uh, a couple of thoughts for wives. Be gracious to us husbands even when we fail much of the time. It is completely your choice whether you defer to anything. And we want to empower you just as Jesus empowers the church. We want to acknowledge that we need to learn to love you more like Jesus loves the church, and we know we will fail at this. When you choose to defer, we are amazed. And we want to love you even more like Jesus does and treat that as a sacred mystery. And for husbands, we need to step up to the plate, I think, and hear the words of this teaching. A husband described in this passage would never tell his wife to submit. Or even joke about it. I joked about it this morning. But guess what I get to speak on this morning? How to tell wives to submit to their husbands. Ha, ha, ha. It's actually not funny. It's terrible. Rather, husbands, we need to learn how to love our wives as Jesus loved the church. To have the purest, deepest motivation always for her best to be willing even to make the ultimate sacrifice of our rights, even our own lives, for her, just as Jesus did. Imagine a wife saying to her husband, I really don't want to defer to your desire for my very best, and you're willing to sacrifice everything for me. That's probably another kind of dysfunction. Um, so, <laughs> kind of debating whether to do this or not, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Um, as I read through this passage, and I've been thinking about this for about a month now, since I found out I was going to have to talk to you about it. And I found myself actually very emotional as I worked through the passage. Mostly because of the powerful sense of my own failure. And I don't think I'm a terrible husband. When I look at this passage and I look at the standard, boy, i got such a long way to grow. So here's what I want to invite you to do. Um, Jesus' love for for the church was never private. Very, very public. And I know that sometimes we feel really nervous about um, expressing affection, love, whatever, to our spouses in public. And I don't want to tell anybody to do anything you shouldn't do. Are you nervous yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see your faces. Um, husbands and wives, I want you to find each other if you're not sitting beside each other. And I want you to do one of a few things. I want you to look into each other's eyes. <laughs> if that's all you got, fine. Um, hold hands. If you have children with you, hold your children's hands. I don't know. You're the only one. Oh, there's some more. Um, I want you to say what you heard in this passage today. 
And if you can't do that, just look in each other's eyes. For some of us, it might actually be confession. Uh, my wife isn't here this service. She's coming to the next service. So I'm going to go wherever she is and stand next to her at that point. And we're going to do this. Uh, but maybe it's confession. Maybe it's expression of love. Don't get too crazy. Like This is a public place. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's just hugging for a little bit. I don't know. I'm going to give you two minutes to do that. And then the, the worship team is going to lead us in a couple more songs. And we're going to celebrate communion together. And we're going to kind of continue this conversation then. Okay? Two minutes. And if you're not married, here's what I want you to do. Look at a couple in the room who's married and pray for them. Someday we'll maybe pray for the single people too. But if you're not married today, look at, find a couple in your line of sight and pray for them. That they will have the kind of marriage that we kind of read about in this passage. Okay? Two minutes. During communion, I, I watched and I saw couples who had been married a lot longer than I have. Uh, I've been married 33 years. And couples who've been married a lot less than I have, I could tell. And it was a beautiful thing to see um, spouses sharing identity and unity in Christ together. I pray that you will not leave that in this room. I pray that you will take it with you. Identity in Christ, unity in Christ, take it with you. Uh, if you're married, take it with you into your home and your marriage. Listen to those words of Ephesians 5 again and again and again. Um, <clears throat> I pray that for you. Uh, so the Lord bless you. Keep you. Make His face shine on you and be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen.